two generations merge into one to spread the good news of God's personal love. With the help of other prominent Christian voices, the gospel is presented in an easy and open way. You just might get the answer to your prayers. Good morning. I'm Katharina Viri, and I'm just so excited here today. I have um, some friends, a new friend, and uh, Doug, who is my friend uh, from Stony Brook, and we have Bridget here as well, um, uh, two young people, and uh, I'm just so inspired right now. It's just going to be such a great show. We're going to be talking about um, some great topics such as uh, the Lord of the Rings. Such an exciting topic. I know a lot of people like it. Some people don't know about it. Like for me, I, I don't really know much about it. So Doug is going to share with us today what what. What is that? Like, what uh, what is that story and uh, who the author is? So Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Katerina. Uh, well, I'm thrilled to talk about it because it's my favorite, I think, of all time, my favorite book <laughs> that I've read so far. Oh, and great. technically, there are six books, but um, really, uh, it's known as a trilogy. Um, and it was written by J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a, an Oxford professor of um, Anglo-Saxon literature uh, in England. Um, and he was he's a very famous scholar, quite apart from his work in The Lord of the Rings, uh, in, in studying in uh, Anglo-Saxon, which is Old English and um, Middle English. And um, But he wrote The Lord of the Rings in 19, the 1950s, um, or it was published in the 1950s. And it, it uh, it's an epic story to, following the adventures of uh, Hobbit and his friends. And they travel across the um, Middle Earth, which is basically... Uh, an ancient, you know, more fictional version of our world, Europe, and um, Tolkien fit the story into his larger mythology, which he'd been working on all his life um, from a young age in the 1920s and after the, actually starting with the uh, First World War. Um, and he was always fascinated with language and mythology, especially you know, northern myth of Scandinavia and, um, and the Norse gods and. Uh, he was fluent in Old English and, and, and Old Norse and, and you name it, tons and tons of languages, Latin, Greek. Um, but The Lord of the Rings uh, is his, his story of um, the destruction of the One Ring. One Ring to rule them all. In the story, the Dark Lord Sauron is basically um, a, a lieutenant of, of Satan <laughs> in, in the story. Um, there are more ancient legends that he wrote, you know, in the old days of this fictional world, Middle-earth, um, that concerned, you know, older stories. So it, it is very much in the Lord of the Rings a sense of history. You know, this is a continuation of older myths in... Um, it's all seen through the hobbit's eyes. They're short, little, you know, half-height uh, people that live in a peaceful place called the Shire. And this ring of power comes into the possession of one um, who doesn't know its, its full importance. And uh, his name is Frodo, and he needs to travel to uh, destroy it. Because the Dark Lord is 
needs this ring. He's used it in the past to launch a war against the world, and it basically embodies sin and um, power, and anyone who uses it falls in, in corruption um, and lust for power and for the ring, and uh, they either need to hide it or destroy it to prevent Sauron from regaining it to take over the world and <laughs> destroy the world. Oh, so, so is uh, Frodo a hobbit? Is yes, he is. Oh, okay. He and his, his faithful servant, Sam, uh, go to Mordor in the end to try to destroy the ring. And I don't want to give it away, but you oh. have to read it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's, it's worth, well <laughs> worth the read if, you're, if you love poetry and, and mythology and adventure and beauty and all of all these things. Mm. And, and uh, Tolkien put a, a very much of his Catholic faith into the writing, though it's not um, explicit in there. Uh, so many of the themes and characters and um, embody uh, a lot of you know Catholic ideas. For instance, there's the the wizard Gandalf, who is basically um, he's called a wizard, but he is more like an angelic being sent to Middle Earth to help the inhabitants fight against evil, who is Sauron really in the Lord of the Rings, um, and he is a messenger sent by God to help. Uh, the people, and he at one point falls and dies, um, uh, battling a, a, a demon from from the deeps of uh, a cave. They they travel through the caverns to get on their quest to Mordor, uh, the mines of Moria, and uh, Gandalf falls and is later resurrected. So he's very you know oh, very okay. Christ like figure. Like, oh, yeah. the bug, you gave it away. <laughs> But he's resurrected. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And good. <laughs> not one character in the Lord of the Rings, you know, embodies Christ exactly, of course. But there, are, you know, there's priests, prophet, kings all throughout. You know, Aragorn is is um, the king in exile, and he's another main character. And Frodo and um, and Gandalf, they each have elements of very Christ-like uh, qualities, mm-hmm. like courage and, mm-hmm. and, and sacrifice, mm-hmm. especially um, uh, Ar- Aragorn and and Frodo. But all of them, really, in some degree. It's oh, good. Quite a deep and, in, and interesting and complex story. Mm-hmm. That sounds exciting. And you said it was a trilogy, but there's actually six books. Yeah, so. it was published as a trilogy. Oh, and um, then it but continued. It, well, it, it was um, just at the time, it was more um, inexpensive to, to just publish them all, you know, in, in uh, big three big volumes. Mm-hmm. Well, but uh, yeah. it was originally really written in six books. Each book in the trilogy has two. And oh, it's interesting how it's written. Because one book follows the stories of uh, the adventures of you know a set of characters, and then the next book it flips over to the other ones that you haven't seen in a while. So you're kind of kept in suspense while you're reading. You don't know oh, what's going on, with you know, with Frodo and Sam, and yeah. all the other. It's following the stories of the other the other characters. Oh. So it's it's very uh, in that way you, you just don't want to stop reading. You're yeah, it's exciting because you're you're frustrated at the same time. You're like ah, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I want to know what's going on, but you have to wait and you have to read the other stuff. Um, so uh, we have a, a, a person, um, a listener who's watching actually from Facebook Live, and he said uh, the Eucharist and Lembas. So uh, do you mind mentioning what, what that is? And, sure. Uh, yeah. How that connects? Uh, I, I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm getting really excited. I have to watch the, the movies and, and read the books, you know. Do, do you recommend, what, which one do you recommend? Reading the books oh, first? Books. The books, yeah. The movies are good, but books are always better. Yeah, you can imagine and stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the Lembos is, is a, a great example, too. Of um, it's, it's elvish waybread that they, they um, on their journey into the east, the company of the ring 
uh, that set out from Rivendell passed through Lothlorien, which is like a, sort of a bastion of, uh, of safety among the elves, their high elves in the mythology. Um, and they're, uh, they give the travelers um, bread to take with them on their journey. And they, they tell the hobbits that the, the more you, uh, you live off of this bread alone, the stronger you, know, you get and you can, you can live with it just with that for weeks and weeks and it'll last you one bite will last a, a grown man enough for a day's march so it, it's very very interesting i think later in the trilogy they they say how as you depend more and more on it you uh you get stronger and the need for other food and drink diminishes so it's very much an, an allusion to the the eucharist yeah yeah it's it uh, it's just hitting me in the head right now because you know in the bible um Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Uh, those who come to me will never hunger, and those who drink shall not thirst. So that's, that's very, um, you know, under the radar, so to speak, that the elves are giving them this, this bread mm-hmm. of, of life so that they can continue and, and do their noble um, duty to prevent evil from continuing in the world. So right. that's, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, so what, uh, I know you wanted to mention how the Lord of the Rings really touched you and, and how that helped you grow closer to your faith. So, um, yeah, do you mind mentioning any favorite um, moments or just anything that, that comes to mind? Well, I think the first thing was that just when I was in middle school, that's when I first started reading the Lord of the Rings. And um, I think reading about Tolkien's life and you know, even be- before reading the story, I was kind of entranced by his story. He was an English professor and um, I was influenced by his, his... He made up many elvish alphabets and I've always been interested in writing and writing systems and language. So I think that down the line influenced me to uh, study linguistics at Stony Brook. Um, and the Lord of the Rings, just at the time, I, I wasn't Catholic, but um, it kind of set me up, I think. That I, uh, Without you knowing. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, he's Catholic. How could Tolkien write all these beautiful things and he's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no. But, but it, it was um, it was very, it's been interesting as a Catholic looking back at it now and rereading it and, and thinking about it now with a Catholic perspective to see just how you know, thoroughly Catholic. You know, of course it's Christian, but specifically Catholic. The Lord of the Rings is, and it's so organic and just wound in there, bound together um, through the story, very much like our our real world. Yeah. Faith is always there. So uh, without us knowing, yeah. You know, sometimes, yeah. But I think the language, you know, his interest in language and its invo- in, um centrality to the the story influenced me quite a bit um and of course tolkien himself as an example you know as a, as a father and teacher and uh, he very much influenced me that's that's incredible all the pieces are you know just coming together because that influenced you later on with what you decided to study in mm-hmm. stony brook and just your journey towards catholicism and just all these pieces are, are coming into into play and that's that's amazing and i was just thinking also that uh, your confirmation saint is St. Thomas More, who is yeah. also um, 
Anglo-Saxon, right? Well, well, well yeah, he, not Anglo-Saxon, <laughs> but yeah, English. English, yeah, okay. Yeah, a little later. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll mention about that uh, that saint and why you, you picked him. And for those of us who don't who may not know about that saint, who he was and, and what happened. Oh, sure. Um, well, he was um, the Lord Chancellor of England in uh, the 1500s, in 1529, under Henry VIII. And uh, he, he was, uh, this was at the time when Henry VIII was trying to get um, an annulment of his marriage uh, and marry Anne Boleyn and um, have her queen. And, of course, you know, at that time, England is Catholic. You know, most of Europe is Catholic. The, the Protestant Reformation has started in, in Germany, and, and uh, Henry, King Henry and uh, Thomas More are on the same side at that point, you know, writing together against heresies that are springing up in, in, on the continent. And, uh, well, down, down the line, uh, Thomas More doesn't take this oath of um, supremacy, which um, the King Henry wanted everyone to swear by, that made him, so in order to get the, the uh, divorce, he uh, had to make himself king, uh, sorry, uh, head of the church in England. So Thomas More wouldn't say yay or nay to it. He just kept silent and um, that, hoped that that would be, you know, enough to imply that he, you know, uh, was okay with it. But he he didn't take the oath, and uh, he and John Bishop John Fisher of Rochester didn't uh, either. And they're the most two best known examples of people that didn't uh, succumb to you know peer pressure or anything. And most people just took the oath to save their lives or just to stay on the king's good side. So in the end, they, they didn't, and uh, Thomas More was beheaded at uh, the Tower of London in uh, 1535. Yeah, and he was made a saint um, in the last century, I think in the 1930s. Oh wow. 1935. And Saint uh, John Fisher as well. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because yeah, he became. He, was he beheaded? Uh, I'm not. I th- he might have been. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not sure, certain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the king, he wanted an annulment so that he can marry somebody else, essentially, to mm. have... Uh, marry Anne Boleyn, to have, to have children, a ch- child, to have, yeah. To have a boy, yep. right? Is that how yeah. the story goes? Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. <laughs> In the end, Anne Boleyn gets, you know, she gets beheaded too, but that's a little later. Yeah. That's, yeah. But um, thank you for, for sharing. That's a noble story of, of courage, of the saints that, yeah. you know, he... He stood up for what he believed in, yep. and yeah. um, now he's a saint. So that's that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's always always influenced me. And I, even in high school, I always thought that was an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Someone he, he never went against his conscience, what he knew to be right, mm-hmm. and stuck with it, even though his his own family. I think his daughter Margaret wrote to him and said, "Just take the oath, like we all did. You know, keep what you want, what you really believe in your heart, and just sign sign away." But he couldn't do it. He, so, he was like, no, then that's, yeah. it's like you're giving He'll have in. to be accountable before God at the end, <laughs> Judgment Day. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he was very much into letting people, if they thought that's what they should do, then let them do it. He wasn't going to judge them, but he could only really hold himself accountable for what he, he did and said. That's a that that's a really good reminder for all of us. And I know you were mentioning about the truth and the Dominican order, and that, that ties in really well with that. Um you know, he was searching for the truth in, in a way, mm-hmm. you know, uh, St. Thomas More and um, wanted to stick up for his belief in the truth and that, no, you know, um, 
the king can't be the head of the church because he's not the pope, you know? Right. So that um, that's really beautiful, inspiring story. So let's continue a little bit with the Lord of the Rings. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll go back a little bit. Um, so what, uh, what else? Um, so would you recommend for those who who haven't read the book uh, to, to read it? And, you know, what are some other reasons why to, you know, enjoy and, mm-hmm. and read? Well, a lot of people start with The Hobbit, and um, that's quite a different style. That was the first book he wrote in 1937, and um, it deals with the adventures of Bilbo, who's the, the main character, and um, he finds the ring in that story, which comes to be of importance in The, in the Lord of the Rings. Um, but it's a different style. It's, for some, you know, preferable to The Lord of the Rings, but I would say if you're going to try reading The Lord of the Rings, stick with it. Don't, you know, don't give up, because there's a lot of long... You know poems, and some people see that, and oh no, yeah, yeah. And there's some a lot of you know what people seem to think are dry passages of just traveling, and and uh, I I don't I love it, (laughs) but it's uh, very descriptive. He he describes everything his the countryside, and uh, so you can really picture it as if it's right right there. It really was just as he said, you know, the forests and the mountains and all the, the valleys. And cities that they visit in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you start reading the Lord of the Rings without having read The Hobbit first? You could, yeah, yeah. You could just go there, there's sort of uh, separate stories. You you kind of pick up on a lot of what happened, the important parts of The Hobbit, while you're reading the beginning of The Lord of the Rings. Oh, but okay. I mean, it helps, it, and that's more of a an easier children's book. You know, it's much more popular for that for that in that genre. Um, but okay. yeah, I would suggest it. Okay, <laughs> it's it's different, st- different style, but yeah. You get, you get other things out of it too. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Um, so let's also talk a little bit. I know um, we were mentioning before about the saints and I, if you don't mind, I, I would like to share a little bit about my confirmation saint as well. Um, her, her name is uh, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Um, it was really interesting how I picked this saint, you know. Um, usually we're supposed to pray a little bit more and discern, like, which, which saint is for you when it's time for confirmation. And I was in religion class, I think, in, like, sixth grade, and I heard my teacher just mention, like, literally one sentence, one or two sentences. She said, uh, this is St. Teresa of the Cross. Um, she uh, was a, I think, she was martyred with, she she died in the concentration camp with her sister um, in, uh, in Auschwitz during the time of the Nazis, and uh, she was Catholic. And I think that's all that I, I heard, and I was like, oh, that's it, that's the one. And I think just inside of me, I was just inspired by... Um, the courage and the how she like became a martyr for for her faith um her story was that she was actually born jewish um her name was edith stein um and she uh she was born jewish and during her life she um she studied philosophy and she studied with some german uh philosophers uh very known and prominent um, philosopher forget his name at the time but she became um atheist uh because of philosophy and and her struggle and her search for the truth too she she was um she became atheist and then what happened was 
she read uh, St. Teresa of Avila's uh, biography, I think it was, or autobiography. And she, uh, in her heart, she felt really touched. And she's like, this is it. This is love. This is the truth, what she wrote about God and, and his love. And then um, she became a, a nun. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I believe a Carmelite. Um, none, but she became uh, she became a religious. Well, she converted. Uh, she she became Catholic, and then she became um, a a nun, um, which was which was amazing. And then her sister as well uh, became a, a faithful person um, uh, in um, the the Catholic uh, the faith. And then um, because I guess of their background and. Um, the, the Nazis found out about them and then they were taken to, to Auschwitz. And I believe St. Teresa didn't, um, didn't uh, fight the, that she was taken. I think one of her quotes was, um, I'm willing to, to become like a martyr or that, that's fine, you know, to, to be taken. Um, so then they both died. And um, for me, I think they're, their story of courage also was what really touched me that uh that they became catholic and just you know that they they died for this very like noble thing um and that um i was very blessed to be able to go last year to poland uh to um auschwitz unfortunately uh you know to see the the site and to walk around where where the terrible things happen and um, it was it was really um, you know you, you could see right there the the terrible uh, sin and, and just the evil that could exist in, in our world you know what happened in history and I just coming back home and just reflecting on that experience walking around and just not really knowing where her where exactly she she died or where exactly her gravesite is but just we can be happy and, and rejoice in their example and like what they um what they I guess what they did for us and just um that that God makes it all work for the good and we just I guess can just pray for for their souls for their family and just remember to try to like not let that happen again so um, so that was, I guess, a little bit about the saint that I that I picked, and um, so so yeah, uh, I just wanted to share a little bit about that and how that inspired me. And we all could could live up to to our saints, to our names, you know, and and they help us and they guide us on on this journey. We we pray. It's like praying to a friend for for help, and and um, it's it's really good. And, uh, did you guys want to? I guess did anything? Did you guys know about Saint Teresa before before today? Uh, um, I did. I did know a little bit about her. Oh, okay. Um, I actually also like went to Auschwitz and um, uh, saw like the concentration camp there, um, and so I remember like them uh, when we were there, like people talking about Saint uh, Edith Stein and also St. Maximilian Kolbe. Right. I think mm -hmm. we saw, like, where his cell was. Mm -hmm. It is, like, um, it is crazy to, like, that they um, were willing to, like, give up their lives and, like, sacrifice so much, like, for the truth, for the faith, um, and to be, like, that witness. Um, so it is really cool to be able to pray to them um, 
for courage and strength. <laughs> yeah, St. Maximilian Kolbe, he's another great one, right? Yeah. He was a Franciscan. Um, and actually, I, I found out he, he also had a, a radio show, and he was, um, you know, speaking about the Lord and I think was involved in, like, journalism and a newspaper. And um, he didn't fight as well when, when they were starting to take him. The Francis, the His friars were like, oh, hide, they're coming, you know, like you know try to save yourself and he's like no it's okay like if they come and he just i think said a blessing and then went on his way so it was um you know if we were in that situation you know like what would we do like that's Mm -hmm. you know i guess that was god's grace to Mm -hmm. to um he he needed to go there to um to save the other person that he went some another man was chosen to be killed unfortunately but he he was a husband and he said no please you know don't take me and then uh father saint maximilian kolbe who's a priest said i'll i'll do it you know he has a family i'll and that is just so incredible that in just one moment he knew the truth and he just and they say that he lived for a long time in the in the starvation cell and he would secretly celebrate mass and there would be singing from the the bunk and just all this terrible stuff going on around him but it was just so incredible like he's just such an inspiring inspiring saint that i wanted to (laughs) mention as as well so i just wanted to to say thank you all for for listening and and hope you have a, a great weekend and um that's it so thank you listeners god bless you and have a great day thank you thank you thank you